Welcome to the One School Podcast. This is a series of conversations about thinking how we can make schools a 24-7, 365 inviting place for our young people to be safe. My name is Kevin Bybee. I'm a family physician and primary care, and today I'm talking with Mark Zollinger, who is a friend that I've known for many years, who is currently an assistant principal and has an experience being a Spanish teacher, and I'd love to introduce Mark and get his story from his side and how he found himself on the other side of an internet microphone with me today. Cool. Well, thanks for having me today. Um, I'm excited to talk about these big ideas and kind of the conceptual framework and, and kind of where I come from, um, see where that goes. But in terms of who I am, so um, I'm an assistant principal at actually two elementary schools um, in a district uh, around in and around the Portland area, um, Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, I was a Spanish teacher. I've been teaching it in some respect for about 22 years now. Um, loving it and loving the impact that that I believe that I have on kids, um, and and really that's where it all where it's all about. It's about coaching teachers. This is kind of what I do: coaching teachers to help kids, um, and and that's our job. And and in this day and age, um, you know, we, we might get into some of this, but uh, really important that kids have an early start in terms of acknowledging who we are as a society and a community. Um, and being thoughtful about our impact. And so um, a lot of what I do is around that, um, along with the academic piece of what's important for for kids to learn so that they can get good jobs within our system. Fantastic. And I'm sure not just good jobs, but be happy people and all of that as well. But I get what you mean. You know, we can run that back a little bit in terms of, it's, it's trying to do both. And I think part of that is in what we'll get into is the systems piece of this. And that's where we, there's going to be kind of a run in because we have to take care of the individual. We have to teach the individual how to uh, move within a society that's not perfect. Um, and so as a school administrator, or as a teacher, we're trying to do all that. We're trying to do the social emotional side and the creation of beings that are thoughtful on their impact, but that also can be successful. And I think that's where things like test scores, grades, you know, what's, where should the focus be? What is the importance of that? So um, just to kind of revisit that, but I know we'll get into that a little bit. And so tell me about if you think the idea of having your school open 24-7, 365 with a, maybe a place for kids to sleep and some robust wraparound social services. How does that idea strike you? I think it's a great idea. My, my brain has a hard time. I go right to, so my wife knows really well, I go right to problem solving mode. And so um, I really have to step back when you, when you say something like that, I go immediately to the meat of it. Okay, let's make it happen. Because it sounds great. Um, I think we, we've talked about this before. It's, we're talking about something where medical, uh, you know, teaching, learning, everything kind of wrapped into your food, um, all of the needs of a child, along with the educational aspect, provided at one place. Am I correct in what I'm describing? Is kind of what we're thinking about. That would be my 
pipe dream and I recognize there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of logistics. And uh, so you're 100% on board with with the, what I would like to happen. And that's exactly why I want to talk with somebody like you is to see all of these roadblocks and things that are going to take a team approach to fix, as well as, you know, identifying things that are really hard versus things that are in principle game stoppers and being able to make sure we're, we know which one of those we're talking about when we're talking about a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. So let's, um, yeah, let's, let's discuss it. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a open mind and open heart to saying we can do this and, and talk about, you know, do some of that problem solving that I always want to get to. Same here. I am, I'm an engineer by former training and I love jumping to problem solving and what I need to get better at is a little bit more of the listening portion of that. So that's why I want to have these conversations so I can hear from people who actually know what's going on rather than some family doctor who is trying to deal with their vicarious trauma in a more productive way. What would you say when that problem solving mind comes up is the first big barrier that you would anticipate? Well, the first thing that my mind always goes to, I just, I just have a lot of questions. And so that's not a problem to be solved, but kind of a series of things to discuss. It's a series of discussions. So the first thing that I think about is the kind of the who and the need. And are we creating something in this that is a firm need? Are we creating the need to solve you know and so that's my first thing is this kind of conceptual framework of it and the the, the need to ask questions of the community to make sure that people are going to be served in ways that make us make sense for them because what i find is when i don't ask questions i've been thinking about this within my own practice um you know with a particular family even and um if i'm not asking enough questions of the family and finding out what their actual needs are, and then also their perception of who I am and who the system is, then what I'm trying to do is fix something for somebody that maybe they don't even want fixed. And whereas I might see this as a problem for them, they're completely content, or if they might not realize that they're not completely content, and they might look at me as somebody who's trying to tell them what to do. So when we're talking about uh, like a 24-hour school, I just would want to, I always kind of want to know the area. And is this, is this a depressed area uh, socioeconomically? Are we talking, uh, what role is race playing in this? And so as a white male, um, I'm always thinking about my impact as a white person. And am I trying to be performative or am I trying to listen to people and help solve problems at their side? So I don't know that I've des- described a particular singular problem, like we need a building. You know, I'm going to make some assumptions on things like that. Like the conceptual framework, the actual physical thing is there. I'm going to make that up. Um, and I'm just going to try to think. And so maybe what I do for the purposes of this discussion is I accept that there is a community that wants this service. Um, that wants the things that we would provide. Um, and that's part of the fact finding is where that is. Um, and then 
then I go to resources. So we have we have a building. Do we have an, and I think you and I have discussed this. I don't know how much you've discussed in like your previous um, podcast with this, but um, I think another assumption that we sometimes are making is that we have the money for something like this. And um, you know, so those that's where I'm, and, and I'll stop. I'll step back right now because that's where my brain jumps to. And so I guess I'm trying to figure out what assumptions we're making and what thing that we can then just talk around those assumptions as if they exist or versus um, what kinds of things we actually need to be talking about are the problems. So maybe you can help me there a little bit and then I can focus in a little bit better. I absolutely love where your first place to go is thinking about what do we actually need and what do the families that we're hoping to care for, what do they perceive their needs to be? And school revolution has been a thing ever since there's been schools and everybody's got the next best thing. And so I certainly recognizing I'm stepping on the shoulders of giants who uh, have amazing egos who want to fix everything. So uh, I, I, I'm trying to come into this with a lot of humility and you know recognizing projects like the Zuckerberg Newark, New Jersey project and the podcast Nice White Parents where people go in full bore and, you know, this term colonization in some circles is colon, uh, controversial in some circles, certainly not controversial, but avoiding anything that could even be perceived as more colonization. And so um, I don't have the answers to those questions, but I love that you thought of them and they're things that I want to be very sensitive to, but I don't know who to ask yet. So that's why I figured I'd start slow and make sure that I'm having the conversations with people who are smarter than me and have the experience that I don't have to be able to do this. The specific school, where would it go, would be a number of factors. My grand vision in 20 years would be that this is how every public school operates. And so what would be the good pilot school would be, a, a, I'm sure, a, a number of factors versus that would include things like, is there a school that would be willing to do this with us? And what are their particular demographics? Um, and knowing what are the, the needs that that community needs. In my episode zero, I'll have talked about a really um, poignant story for myself about a young child who was labeled as ADD and ODD, sorry for the non-jargonistic of us, attention deficit disorder and oppositional defiant disorder, but, and was getting kicked out of school every day for his behavior. But when he came to my visit, his mom was in a wheelchair for a neurodegenerative disorder, fleeing um, intimate personal violence and domestic violence. So you've got a kid who is the product, uh, maybe product's not the good word, but has experienced a lot of trauma, both personally and vicariously. And then we slap some labels on him, kick him out of school. And so how do we make the school the place where that nobody gets kicked out from, regardless of time of day, because there's always going to be at least one person who needs a safe place to go. And right now, that safe place to go is the emergency department, which uh, is in so many ways, not the right place for somebody to go for any need that they might have at any hour of the day. And so that's where I'm coming from. And 
what's the, the actual need in terms of statistics. I'm doing my research and I definitely want to flesh that out and I don't have great numbers, but that's again, part of why I want to start these conversations is hopefully I can get somebody in public health to give me really good numbers to back up what the need actually is. But does that kind of get to your concern? Totally. And, and again, understanding that this is the beginning of a larger conversation, um, that makes total sense that that would be, you know, I think it's on, it's going to be on both of our minds and anybody's mind who wants to get involved in something like this, uh, or you would at least you would hope that on everybody's mind is to ask the questions and get the data, uh, because none of this happens if we're not doing that at the front end. And if it is happening, it's going to go very poorly. I can, I can look at data, but, um, part of it is having the expertise to interpret the data. And so not that I want to terribly cognitively offload on a bunch of people to do it for me for free. But at the same time, I could, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If my information processing on the specific data isn't great, then it's not going to be helpful. And so, yeah, hopefully people who do have a conversation with you can provide context to make that data useful. Let me riff for a little bit because you brought up a couple things. And, and so you brought up this kid that has been identified, a lot of acronyms probably flying at him and his parents. He's ending up, you know, the, the things that you just talked about make me think about the school to prison pipeline and make me think of the current state of systems, uh, especially um, educationally related. Uh, it's so much, it's so big. I think about the last four years, who's been at the helm. Um, you know, you know, we've had, we've had Trump for the last four years and Betsy DeVos. And I, I, I think it would be hard to look at the data and not see that the places where she did some touching up, which I'm not, um, that's some data I'd like to look at. Uh, but, uh, at the same time, I wouldn't, because my feeling is that there's been a lot of, um, I know that as an educator, we were really worried that a Trump second term might happen. And all of the initiatives that we've been talking about for the last 10 years to fix a system that admittedly is not a great educational system, especially for our black and brown students, um, was going to be, if you remember the end of the Trump administration, they were really locking down on um, uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, DEI, um, uh, workshops and things like that. Um, I believe within federal circles, anywhere that they had control, they were trying to wipe that stuff out and the the department of education is going to fall there. So with four more Trump years, it appeared to me that a lot of the work that we did to really unpack racism, white supremacy, um, diversity, equity, inclusion was going to kind of just be out the window and it was not going to serve our, I'll keep coming back to our black and brown students. We're not going to be served. Um, so when I think about what we're doing and what I hope is working, it's the cultures that we create within the schools. And so as you talk about that identified kiddo um, that you were just that you were just telling us about, I think of a system built to send him to the emergency room, and I don't think of a system built to envelop the child and the parents and help not that the people that are that are there with him aren't trying to do that but there's a systemic piece that we keep missing and when i think about what's happening right now with the pandemic and everything has moved online 
I'm recognizing that I'm also part of this system. I'm recognizing that we have something like this. We have shifted on a dime to an um, to a computer, you know, a comprehensive distance learning model. So kids are at home on computers. Meanwhile, we're going into schools as adults. We haven't started our um, Lippy or um, our limited in-person instruction um, or our hybrid, hybrid instruction yet. And this would be the ideal time to blow up the system wherever possible so that when we come back, not, not just blow it up, but blow it up and then put it back together in a more equitable fashion, so that when we come back, there's a change. So it's we're not coming back to the to normal. Like a lot of people are talking about, let's come back to normal. And what's been shown with schools, or let's take the let's take Black Lives Matter and all of the social injustice that's been around. If you're talking with a black or brown person, this never went away. Obama didn't take it away. It was it was here, and it just became much more clear to white people over the last four years, especially, and then over the last year in particular. Um, and so for to say, let's get the pandemic over and then go back to normal, my caveat for that is always, it's like, I, I don't even say this with my wife anymore, like it's assumed that getting back to normal means getting back to a lot of the ways we didn't have to wear masks or social distance, that type of normal, but there's a whole other piece that we don't want to get back to, quote, normal. We want to put, we need to take this moment and make it something that lasts um, for the good of society. And so I'm kind of going broad, but I'm going to bring it back to schools now. Um, I, the, my problem is I don't see us right now blowing up the system and putting it back together. And my big problem with that is time. Because we're having to be so flexible and agile and um, deep whenever necessary, that's taking up the time. And so we're focusing on online learning. Yes, we got computers to everybody. Fantastic. Hot spots we're trying to provide wherever we can. But we're still losing those students who you would predict that we would be losing. And meanwhile, we are not. As much as we try and as much as we speak and as much as we want to be making the system better when we come back, it's just hard to do. And there's no fingers to be pointed at anybody. It's just hard to do. And it's been ingrained in who we are as educators and as a society for hundreds of years. So as I have the conversations, I think that I think where it works and where I see hope is the conversations that people are having. And it's, but it's, it's just going to be small and it's going to take time. And so one of the things I remind my staff is we're doing the work where we are instilling in our language and in our mission statement of who we are as our schools, we're instilling a lot of these um, social emotional practices along with our equity practices and anti-racist practices um, and recognizing white supremacy and recognizing each, each individual's experience is different and that race and racism plays a role in that. And as we're teaching that, as I, I'm in a position where I'm trying to do everything I can to learn about this stuff and also teach teachers about this stuff, let them teach me, because I don't certainly have all the answers, um, and instill it in the, 
the building blocks, the basis of our school, so that when students return to school, or luckily what's happening is prior to the return to school, we're focusing on these things and we're building anti-racist language into the culture of the school. And a lot of that is the asking of questions of teachers, parents, students, um, community members, um, and getting their buy-in. Um, and the, the, the thing that keeps being difficult, and I'll, I'll wrap this up, is time. I always think about time and its relationship to all the things that we need to do and the things that we have to do to support these kids and these families and these teachers. And that's where I keep coming up and saying, man, I, I'm, I'm out of time and I got to go to bed. <laughs> and so imagine being the parent of a, in a household of three, four, five kids living in a trailer and everybody's got a computer, which is great. But that's the, that is it the case. And you're not allowed to go anywhere because there's a pandemic. And that is, well, now I'm way off track, but that's, I just, you know, our recent, we recently had a snowstorm, uh, which caused a lot of people's power to be out. And when my power is out for the first time in years, and all of a sudden, all the things I take for granted are gone, um, we were not prepared with our food. I start to think about what might some of the families that I'm working with be coming up against. Um, and, and then I just do the best I can to take care of my family. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I land in that moment. And I, you know, I just always, am trying to wrap my brain about how we can do it for everybody. Right. And that's my whole impetus for this. I've had the dice fall in my favor day after day. and. My dad's a family doctor, and one of his best sayings is, the best decision one makes in life is picking your grandparents well. And hopefully we can see the uh, irony in that statement. And so I want to help pay it forward as much as possible. And I think that we're coming up with a lot of cultural momentum, not to be too snide about it, but change happens one baby boomer death at a time. And like you said, we instill this language in our children at the youngest age, and then we can only hope that the next generation is better resourced than we were. How do we promote like intergenerational transmission of culture and information in a robust way? If that's not what education is, then I don't know what education could possibly be. And so how do we re-envision our schools? And I know there's a lot of people talking about it and there's a lot of siloed projects. And so every every concern that you have is exactly the motivation why I want to do something like this because one, A, time, we're burning our candle from both ends a lot. And some people have smaller candles and hotter fires. And again, just not something fair. And I don't have the personal tools to help that many people. And how can we fix it on a systemic level? And again, that's why I think reorganizing and re-envisioning what we call a school and what it's capable of can help. And unfortunately, it's going to take, you know, a generation or two to make any headway on that. But got to start somewhere. One, yeah, one guy I've been listening to is an educational theorist named Zach Sign, and who he defines education as the intergenerational transmission of culture information. And you're highlighting exactly the points of why this project is, I think, important. So. Uh, and we, we were just talking about how environment is going to influence people's experience of themselves in the world. And 
that's what motivates me is how environment influences how people develop. Part of being a primary care physician is being curious as to somebody's circumstances that may make it difficult for them to adhere to my treatment recommendations. And what I learn time and time again is an unfortunate, uncomfortable amount of their difficulty adhering or being able to stick to a plan that I would recommend stems from trauma in their childhood or lack of resources um, that they didn't have, that their environment didn't have. Um, And you had um, mentioned in passing or not, you had mentioned previously that one of your particular areas of specialty is multi-tiered systems of support. And so I think that is a great place to talk about how we could uh, bring that into the educational environment. I mean, you've already brought it to the educational environment, but tell me what that looks like, I guess. So, um, yeah. Okay, great. So uh, you're talking about MTSS, multi-tiered system of supports. Um, so it's kind of like, so the S goes on the end of the word um, support um, and not on system because the idea is it's a system of supports um, for the children. And it's, you know, in, in quick terms, um, we're, we're, we kind of put um, the system into three tiers. Uh, there's the, and I think of it as a pyramid and the bottom part of the pyramid um, capturing about 90% of the kids, maybe my percentage is off 80, 80 to 90% of kids, kids. Um, that's what everybody gets offered. Um, that's what everybody, uh, you know, everybody at the school gets offered that tier of support. Then you have your kids and it might be behavioral or it might be, um, um, it might be, what's the word I'm looking, um, not intellectual, intellectual, educate. It's the word I'm looking for. Gosh, dang it. Um, it might be uh, curricular education, educational is the word I'm looking for. Um, it might be behavioral. Um, uh, it might be academic. There we go. Good Lord. Um, so so you have your initial tier. I, I was looking for the word academic was the word I was looking for. Um, and so so you have your you have your bottom tier, which is what's offered to everybody at the school. Um, and that's like the mission statement. That's, um, that's all of the guiding principles of the school, um, at the class level. It's that everybody in the class knows that there is a specific set of jobs for people and how that all, that whole system works within the class. Then there is a second tier up from that. So we're capturing less of the students, uh, because if you have a strong tier one, then you're going to have a lot less to deal with in tier two and tier three. Um, so this is the this is in this is a concept I believe in. Um, it's all about climate of the school. Um, it's all about setting up systems that work. And if you can if you can drill down on systems that, and I don't mean drill down in a in a negative way. Um, it's actually very social emotional uh, related um, when we're setting up a climate of the school that ninety percent of the students are well served and benefit from that client um, that that climate. Then you go to the second tier for kiddos that are either academically or behaviorally struggling um, in that first tier. And you offer a host of kind of, um, this is where the supports would come into play. So what kind of plans are you going to work on for these this next 5% of kiddos, um, 5 to 10% of kiddos that need it? 
and then you might even go a step up from that and then then you're looking at the tip of the triangle and you are trying to figure out that third tier what are the supports that these kids need and it might be supports for the kiddo at the school it might be um something needs to be changed within the climate of the class or the school um you need to bring in the parent you might need to bring in specialists you know and this is where we have our sped departments um our slps our speech and language language pathologists um any of those people that occupy those roles um because what you're trying to do you're trying to you're trying to not manage students as much as manage climate so that that kiddo that's been identified for every single acronym that there is we start to peel that away what you find is those things that you were that you were um, ascribing to that child aren't necessarily true um, he or she is acting out because there is a system in place that is that this is trauma related that through the trauma of their lives, their experience or trauma at the school itself is causing them to act out in ways they might not were their better tier ones put in place, for example. And so so that's just the brief on the MTSS. And so as we think about that within the context of um, what what we might be trying to build you know, something like that and something that where there is a system of supports set up at each level for these children to make this successful. Um, and so building that is a piece of it. Building that is something that um, is critical to the district that I'm in and it's critical to the school that I'm in right now as well. Um, so that would be a piece that we are working on in order to, when we come back to school, be able to help kiddos with the trauma that they might have experienced over the past year. Great, great. I mean, and that's just it, because like, it's all about the systems and the environment and the soup uh, that that we all live in that ultimately determines uh, how we're going to behave. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Robert Sapolsky and his book Behave, but you know, every decision we make, you can't really take it out of context from the neurochemistry that led up to it in the last five seconds to the most recent 5 million years of our uh, neurologic uh, evolution. So how do we make those systems as robust as possible? Um, and I guess that kind of ties in with a, a question, like I would love to think that we could have an individualized education program for all students, like we're all individuals. And so talk to me about, or if you have any thoughts on what it takes to go from our current, what, appears to me as an outsider assembly line model of education. And sorry if that's offensive from somebody on the inside, just recognizing my ignorance as an outside to what would it take to get to an IEP for every student? Gotcha. So that's interesting. So saying, man, so an IEP for every student. So first of all, I think, oh man, that would sure take the stigma away for being a student with an IEP if everybody around you had, you know, and I realize it's kind of maybe a little bit facetious, but I, I see your point. How can we individualize education for everybody and focus on their strengths um, and focus on their lagging skills in ways that are going to be productive and benefit them? Um, you know... My my first my first thing is time, because it's it takes a lot of work to figure out. It take I mean you spend a lot of time on one child, um, figuring out the IEP. Um, you got you know 
I guess we're not talking necessarily about something where you're going to have lawyers at the table for every single student, um, like you might with an IEP that's really intense and um, a little contentious. Um, but so time to figure out what those plans are. I guess that's the building of, you know, kind of funny. I, I think about my dissertation that I did for my, um, that I did get my master's and the idea was to take students and figure out learner types and not limiting it to like three, but like thinking about a student, what is the student's learner type? And there's a whole bunch of work that would need to go into that. Um, and then you have a list of learner types and what works for those learner types. And if you could build a system that, that can do that i think it, i guess i think it's less about individualizing it for each student but giving student choice so if you have the student engaged and with buy-in you're not having to create that so i'm going to go back on what i just said i'm going to focus on climate again if you have a climate that is dialed in for 90 percent of the students then you're going to have engagement you're going to have buy-in and you're going to spend less time trying to figure out 15 to 30 extra percent of students and you're going to start to you're going to really focus on the figuring out of those students who aren't who aren't um buying into the climate for whatever reason and it could be trauma it could be the climate's not right um it could be a host of social social factors so I guess I would shy away from the, you know, an IEP for every student on something like that. And that, that's what you get through student buy-in. That's what you get through a good, through a good climate. That's how you serve the child and the family um, through saying and understanding and being thoughtful um, and being patient. Um, as we know of being parents and educators and doctors, if we can just be patient then it's kind of like half our work is done because anytime I'm not patient, it's like I've just increased my workload and it happens. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Tell me about it. I, uh, the podcast calm parenting that you've turned me on to emphasizes that time and time again. So I'm, I'm slowly learning and I, I absolutely love what you say about climate because I wasn't necessarily saying, you know, we all need, like you said, the IEP process can be, quite um uh, extensive and resource draining um but the, the the spirit of it was how do we give each kid the environment to help them learn the best and like you said it, it can come down to climate and you know you can prevent a lot of second tier problems with the appropriate climate and, and resources in tier one right so we're we're bumping up against a, a hard stop in terms of important questions that I wanted to touch on. You know, I, I, I think teachers should be paid, you know, on the order of magnitude of, uh, you know, if not physicians, close to physicians, like a professional level salary. And I think we need three times more of them. How would you go about running numbers or convincing people that we need more of you and we need to pay you more? I mean, the, the big piece of that is data. The, um, 
one of, one of the things we're up against that I didn't know as a kid we would ever be up against, I, I don't even think I knew it um, five, six years ago, is a shared understanding of the truth. Um, and so because data... My truth or your truth? Uh, oh, uh, well, exactly. Which facts? <laughs> the, the, those alternative Exactly. Kinds? Sorry, didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why discussions are so hard. It, I feel like discussions are really hard to have now, um, political especially, but it goes into almost every arena. And it's because depending on who you're talking to, you're not even starting from the same starting point in terms of what's factually accepted in, in each of your brains. Some of that's okay, but when it gets to where it seems to be now, where there's two specific truths, there's two specific sides of the truth um, and I don't know if that's divided on... Anyway, that's going into some stuff we don't need to get into. Um, but I think you start with that. You start with what is true, and that's by looking at the data. If you can if you can start from knowing that having the same um, truths, the same data set, um, then you can show people on paper. And so that's one of the big things in terms of convincing is looking at numbers. So what are those important statistics that you could actually show people and say, hey, look, if we are reducing, uh, if we are increasing our preventative measures, then we're reducing uh, all of the things that happen um, reactively, and that's saving us money. And so, if you can, if you can find the, those pieces truthfully um, and present a solid fact-based case, that's step number one. Um, and and the case would be, hey. We need to focus on the child. We need to focus on the social emotional impact that we have, that parents have, that society has. Um, and through doing that, we can impact the child in a positive way, the community in a positive way. And we're spending a lot less time dealing with all our two tier two, tier three stuff on the streets. And we've got our good climate, our good, um, our good climate, our good tier one climate all set based in facts and evidence. Um, and hey, you know what? Who was important to that? teachers. And you know what we could use more of is teachers. And we could use more social services. Um, and if you can continually prove that and disprove the benefit of having, um, you know, a robust police state, then, you know, I have to believe we can start to bring people on board. And then that's where I talk about my two different truths in the world that we live in right now. And that's where it's hard. Um, do you see any, what were the, what are the current obstacles other than just facts? Like what are, what are some of the beliefs that might be holding people back from thinking teachers should be paid more or why we don't, you know, invest in educating more of them? Uh, Teaching is easy, um, you know. Teachers get paid too much, so why are people thinking? Te so I don't know. More documentaries about what a teacher's life looks like. Um, more, uh, I guess, stories about teachers that made a difference. Um, a reconciling with like there might be people that don't believe in the system for very good reasons. So learning from that, recognizing that that's true, um, not trying to sweep it under the rug. Um, I think 
recognizing white supremacy and the role that racism plays in the educational system as much as we're working against that, um, doing what we can. Um, again, like I said earlier, we're working against something in a lot of cases that's been hundreds of years in the making. And if you think about, um, you know, slavery, I mean, it it plays a role in where we are. And I think the more people we can help understand, like I guess empathy is where I'm going to kind of end up with that, is um, people understanding. And, and I need to do that with people that might disagree with me. I need to be able to empathize with the trauma that has taken them to where they are, just like they need to recognize or empathize my with my trauma. And I think about less for me about trauma, um, but I think more about... Um, the experiences that I've had that have led me to have the beliefs that I have. Um, so if you can recognize me for that and at least empathize um, with that, maybe that gets you a little bit closer to seeing why education might be important. So empathy, I have, um, if we can, I kind of have my three pillars. If we can get students or whoever to trust us, then we can teach them about impact and empathy. If we are not a trustworthy source, then we're gonna. And, and I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I'm answering your question. I've gone. I've gone kind of off. So the question is: So if we can create schools that people trust and a system that people can trust, we can teach students, and, and I guess I want to focus on the students, if, if we can create students that trust us, or if we can do what students need to, to, to find trust in us, then we can help them understand their impact and have empathy for others. And I think if you're doing that, you're creating people who are going to be more thoughtful about things like social justice or the needs of people and the needs of educators and the need to have educators because you're creating those stories that kids have about that awesome teacher or that awesome school that they had. And it's less, I got out of there, thank God, and more, how can I contribute to that? And then, you know, and the problem with that's time, that's culture, that's climate, that's creating things um, that are going to take time to do, especially when we're in a place that has, with students that have a lot of trauma or um, areas with that, are, that have experienced a lot of trauma. So I'm a firm believer that educators and social, social workers and, um, and doctors are really critical. Um, and that, but that's the lens that I've been working with through my life. So how can we bring other people to that lens um, this is a really long answer. Sorry about my rambling. I, well, there's, I mean, no, uh, the, if, if there was a fine, easy way to put a fine bow on it, somebody would have done it already. And it, there's so many, um, bleed ends to, to get to any one point that it's only natural to end up what it seems to be a ramble. Um, so, I do recognize your hard limit. I want to be respectful of your time. And, uh, you know, everything that you mentioned brings up more questions. So maybe if the post-production of this makes us sound really good, you'd be motivated to try round two and we can dive into a few more details. 
this is it's a ton of fun to discuss this at the like a conceptual framework and to think through my experiences um and my opinion you know i i am by nature um uh, you know insecure in a lot of ways and so when i'm being asked to come in and, and talk about what I know about education, the first thing I think is I don't know enough to talk about that. And I think there's, I mean, there's, you know, countless books that I haven't read in time that I need to take. Uh, but I think having an opportunity to talk like this helps me kind of conceptualize w what I have learned and what I do know. Um, and maybe if we, if we do, I'm more than open to doing another one. Maybe I need to I don't know. I just kind of roll with it and I don't, we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes. I'm open to it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, again, these are conversations to help enlighten me and hopefully iterate like what I'm calling my proposal. Um, part of that is finding out the next subject matter expert. We mentioned briefly, you know, somebody in potentially education of educators, uh, but do you have any recommendations for next steps where I could turn to talk to somebody else who might uh, give me a little less ignorance on the topic? My my buddy Jeff DeFranco, community college uh, president down in Lake Tahoe, Lake Tahoe Community College, uh, awesome friend of mine and a leader, an educational leader, like through and through. No pressure, and appreciate any 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 thought given to it at all. Again, Mark, I just really want to thank you for your time and your, your insight. We all are vastly undereducated for living in the world today, but we still got to do it in some ways. So I appreciate you working through your discomfort and sharing what you do know. It's certainly a lot more than me. And you have, like you said, 20 years of experience. Uh, we'll be in touch, okay? All right, brother man.